Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. Hello and welcome to another episode in our podcast series, Beyond Markets. My name is Laura Wong from the Asia Fixed Income Specialist Team at Julius Baer. And today I'm here with Marion Mark, our Head of Asia Fixed Income Specialist in Hong Kong. Hello, Marion. Thank you for joining us. Hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here today. Today, we want to talk about TLEC bonds as they are getting increasing focus from investors lately. A number of global banks have recently printed senior TLEC deals with relatively high yield levels of 6 to 7%. At the same time, we have received a lot of questions about what a senior TLEC really is and the associated risks with this type of bond. So Marion, could you explain to us what a senior TLEC bond is? Sure, Laura. But first, let me give a brief background on how TLEC came about. And TLEC, it stands for Total Loss Absorption Capacity. So after the 2007 to 2009 global financial crisis, the G20 adopted several policy measures to address the problem of financial institutions that are too big to fail, otherwise known as Global Systematically Important Banks, or GSIPs. By the way, there are about 30 GSIPs today. And for GSIPs, normal insolvency proceedings would inflict damage on the real economy and cause financial instability. So it was in the public's interest that any financial difficulties would be resolved in an orderly, quick, and efficient manner through a bank resolution. But who should pay for these proceedings? This is exactly what regulators had to consider, Laura. They wanted to avoid using public funds to bail out these banks, like what happened during the global financial crisis. So the TLAC standard was introduced in 2015 by the Financial Stability Board to ensure that GSIPs had sufficient loss-absorbing liabilities to avoid the need for a bailout with public funds in case of failure. This makes sense, but how much capital do GSIPs have to set aside for TLEC, and what are the different parts to it? Well, GSIPs are required to meet a minimum TLEC requirement which is within a range of 16 to 20% of risk-weighted assets, which are the loans and other assets of the bank. For TLAC requirements, they can be met by regulatory capital, such as common equity, AT1s, and subordinated debt, plus some debt liabilities that meet certain criteria. So let's call these TLAC-eligible liabilities. For the senior TLEC bond we spoke of earlier, would this come under TLEC-eligible liabilities? What criteria do they need to meet to be TLEC-eligible? Yes, that is correct. One main criteria is that TLEC-eligible liabilities should be subordinated to TLEC-excluded liabilities, such as deposits and structured products. That means they need to rank below them with regards to claims on assets or earnings. Now, subordination can be achieved in three ways. Contractual, statutory, and structural. I'm sorry, but could you explain more? 
Yeah, I see these terms can be quite confusing. So let me use some examples to illustrate. So for structural subordination, it would be through issuance of long-term unsecured debt at the parent level, where the parent is a non-operating holding company. This format is used in the United States, United Kingdom, Switzerland, and Japan, for example. And examples of such TLEX senior instruments would be from banks like HSBC, UBS, JP Morgan, and Misuho. The second one is contractual subordination, which is achieved through a new tier three layer known as senior non-preferred, which will absorb losses after junior debt, but before any other liability. This debt sits between the traditional senior unsecured bond and tier two instruments. For this format, it is common for French and Spanish banks. And finally, we have the statutory subordination, which is achieved through a different hierarchy of claims in the resolution regime. This method is adopted in Germany, where they have passed a national law that subordinates all existing senior unsecured debt to depositors and other liabilities that were previously peripazu. I see. For these TLEX liabilities, I see bill-in and loss absorption as key bond features. I thought only regulatory capital instruments have loss absorption language. Why is there loss absorption when these are senior unsecured bonds? Well, the concept of bail-in is for banks to make eligible debt and equity holders absorb losses during a resolution. This is as opposed to a bailout where taxpayers' money is used to recapitalize the bank. Regulatory capital, such as additional tier 1s and tier 2 debts, have strict loss absorption language, which states that holders have to be either written off or converted into common equity upon the occurrence of a trigger event. For example, AT1s have defined common equity tier 1 ratio triggers for loss absorption. Both AT1s and tier 2s have point of non-viability triggers, which would mean if regulators determine the bank is at a point of non-viability, they would have to absorb losses to recapitalize the bank. Now, TLEC liabilities sit above both AT1s and tier 2s in the bank capital structure and do not come with such hard trigger or loss absorption language. Therefore, TLEC liabilities start to share losses only in extreme scenario where the bank faces huge losses and is unviable even after all its regulatory capital is wiped out. So to clarify, although TLEC liabilities have built-in and loss absorption listed as bond features, they will only be required to be built-in after the bank's equity, AT1s, and Tier 2s have been wiped out. That is correct. And if you think about it, it is not that different from investing in regular corporate bonds, where investors are generally expected to incur losses if the issuer runs into an extreme financial distress situation. 
After the global financial crisis, regulators don't want any more of these unrealistic expectations of government bailouts for these too big to fail institutions. So, therefore, these instruments are now labeled with bail-in risk to clearly spell out the potential loss absorption risk related to investing in these instruments. I see. In terms of feature, how are these TLEC liabilities? Different from AT1 or Tier 2. Okay, so TLAC liabilities have the highest ranking among the three instruments in terms of investor protection. Their coupons are must pay with a defined maturity date. There is no hard trigger for loss absorption and no point of non viability language. Next is Tier 2 debt. Which is subordinated in ranking, and similar to TLEC liabilities, coupons are must-pay and also with a defined maturity date. However, they do come with a point of non-viability trigger for loss absorption. Then, ranked the lowest would be AT1s, which are junior subordinated in ranking. The coupons are discretionary. The tenor is perpetual, and most of them come with hard CET1 ratio, as well as point of non-viability triggers for loss absorption. So, to reiterate, TLAC liabilities are available for loss absorption only after all the regulatory capital is exhausted. One thing I notice is these TLAC bonds always have a one-year call date prior to maturity. Some common formats that we see are four non-core three, six non-core five, eleven non-core ten. Why is that so? That is a very good question, Laura. Thanks for bringing this up. So, another criteria for TLAC eligibility is that it must have a minimum residual maturity of more than one year. So this means having the call date one year prior to bond maturity. Gives the issuer an option to redeem the bond when it loses TLAC eligibility. How should we think about the call probabilities of these instruments then? I would say there is good incentive for banks to early redeem these senior TLAC bonds on their call dates. This is because if the bank chooses not to redeem, then the bond's tenor is going to be shorter than one year. Then the debt instrument would only qualify for balance sheet funding with no TLAC regulatory benefit to the bank. Does that mean that we should expect these to get called? Well, Laura, there are also other factors the banks need to take into account when making these call decisions. So, for example, they have to consider firstly if it makes economic sense. To leave the bonds outstanding. Secondly, what is the implication of a non-call to the future pricing of this senior debt layer? And finally, the refinancing environment at the time. So, even though there is clear incentive for banks to call from a regulatory qualification angle, there remains some extension risk for these senior T-like instruments. I see. That makes a lot of sense. 
I recognize that there is limited history for this type of instruments, but has there been any case of senior TLEC non-core so far? Yes, there has been some cases, but only a few so far. For example, Goldman Sachs had two senior TLEC bonds where they did not call back in the past, purely for economics reasons. Interestingly, these two bonds were fixed for live structures with very low coupon, so it made complete economic sense to just leave them outstanding for the final year of maturity. Now, as you highlighted, Laura, there is a rather short history for this type of instrument. So that is one of the reasons why we only have a few non-call cases so far. But another thing we should bear in mind is the interest rates and credit cycle we are in right now. Both interest rates and credit spreads are now much higher than they have been in the last few years. So I think it's fair to expect increasing instances of non-call for senior TLAC instruments. Extension risks will be especially higher for those issues that were printed during the ultra-low rates and credit spreads environment. But in general, we think the majority of the senior TLAC paper will still get called on the first call date due to regulatory reasons as mentioned before. Thank you, Marion, for giving us a comprehensive overview on this rather complex topic of senior TLEC instruments. I now have greater clarity on the key features as well as the risks related to investing in these instruments. Dear listeners, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. On behalf of all of us at Julius Bear, thank you for tuning in and goodbye. What will the cities of the future look like? What kind of vehicles will fill our streets? Think Tank is a monthly podcast where Julius Bear experts look further ahead into the future. We aim to capture the world's biggest longer-term themes and put them into context for investors. Search for Think Tank on your favourite podcast player. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Bear. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Bear, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbear.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.